you know, you think of a song like that on Palm Sunday and you think, well, there's no hosannas in there. There's no waving around of palm branches or anything. But then you remember that these travelers who were in the process of coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover would have been coming from great distances, right? They would have been tired. They would have been uh, exhausted. They would have been dirty, worn out. Some of them would have been coming to celebrate this huge annual festival thinking to themselves, I've got to get right with God before I go into this festival. So they were perhaps coming brokenhearted. So that's a good song to kind of lead us into well, what we're doing today. Uh, here's a question for you. And it's a question of a question, if that makes sense. What's the biggest question you've ever had to ask? Think for a second. What's the biggest question you've ever had to ask? I see Art over there like, was it sausage or bacon for breakfast? <laughs> we're, we're thinking just a little bit bigger than that. Okay? The biggest question you've ever had to ask. Those in-house, come uh, be ready to, to share an answer or two. Those that are watching online, uh, there's a number on your screen. Go ahead and text in your answer to that or write your answers in the comment box. And Frank, who's our online host today, will be sending them to me. What's the biggest question you've ever had to ask? You may be wondering, well, where's James going with this? So I'm, I'm thinking questions like perhaps asking your girlfriend to turn into your fiancé. Big question. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah, all the guys are like, no kidding. He just took my answer. Shoot. Um, maybe you got bad relations with your neighbor and the dog, their neighbor's dog keeps messing in your yard and you have to ask him to pick up the Huey, Dewey, and Louie in your own yard. Mate, you've had to ask that question. Yeah, all right. Uh, perhaps you're a kid, right? Maybe any kids in here? Teacher says, all right, we're going to take a test. Nobody can go to the bathroom during the test. And in the middle of the test, you really have to go. At that time, it's the biggest question you would have ever had to ask, right? Perhaps as an adult, you've got grown children who are in your house, and you know it's finally time to ask them to move out. <laughs> I can tell by how loud people laugh whether or not they've gone through this or not. All right, so hopefully online you're thinking of your answers. It feels like my phone is, oh, my phone's ringing. Uh, Ruth, you're supposed to text the answer, not call me. <laughs> I got you. All right, I'm going to hit ignore. How do I do that? I don't know how we should keep, let it keep buzzing. Anybody in-house first before uh, we get some answers from online? The biggest question you've ever had to ask. Okay, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a, that's a big question. Okay. Yeah. When royalty was getting progressively sicker. You're asking? Okay. Thank you. For those that don't know, for those who are watching online, Madonna said goodbye to her son yesterday, laid him to rest. Uh, he had passed on March 25th. And she asked him, Are you ready? It's a great question. Great question. Somebody else? Yes. Who am I? Who am I? Fantastic question. Do you know Jesus? Definitely a question that needs to be asked for sure. Uh, I was thinking back to, it might not be the, the biggest question I ever had to ask, but about 19 years ago, I was working at a children's home and Abby was pregnant with our first. And I knew that we wanted her to stay home and raise our, our family. But on my salary alone, we couldn't do that. So I had to go to my boss and ask for a raise. Um, at 19 years old, that, no, I wasn't 19 at that point. Just clarify. Um, that was a tough question to go and ask. Um, any others? Anybody from online? 
Nobody coming through? All right. Yes, Sherry? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Okay, good. Big questions. Now, oftentimes we think of questions like this, and, and we think, okay, if we ask these questions and we actually get answers, are there further ramifications? Right? Are there, if you're asking somebody, do you know Jesus, is there a risk of perhaps the relationship being damaged if they don't want you to go there? You know, or if you're asking a child who's, uh, you know, in hospice, are you ready? And they say no. I mean, there's, there could be some unrest. So is there any further ramifications, any things that could be like life-altering if you asked such a big question? When I went and asked my boss for a raise, I did not anticipate his answer. You know, he liked me. The board liked me. Um, I figured it was going to be, well, yeah, we can give you a little bit more. And his answer was, well, no, James, I don't see you here long term. <laughs> what you know, so a simple question of can I have a raise ended up with me and Abby moving to Chicago. So big changes in life. Now, what if one of these questions that you're thinking to yourself is, man, if I ask this question, would it let the cat out of the bag? Would there be a secret that I've held on to for a long time that finally, if by asking this question, it gets out there? You see what I'm saying? Big questions. Let me pray. God, oftentimes you ask us big questions, and I think you're patient enough with us to, to wait for our answers. Other times... We are asking you the big questions. Whatever it is, whatever the case today, Lord, help us listen for your answer or for even just deeper questions. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so a couple of questions did come through online. Uh, Eric said, what's next? That's a huge question in life. Very true. Uh, Joel says, I know, God, that you can, but will you do that for me? Ruth said, why? You know, that's just a great question in general. Why? And then uh, we had one more. Frank asked the question, what do I do now? How can I move forward after this? Great questions to ask. Connie asked that one. Thank you. You didn't ask that. Connie asked that. Very good. So today we're going to look at a very huge question that a couple of guys asked, and we're going to look at how when they asked it, without a doubt, it let the secret out. All right? That kind of rhymed. Ooh, we should do that. You say that with me without a doubt and let the secret out. I'll sign you guys up for Dr. Seuss 101. Very, very good. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 19. All right, we have spent the last 13 weeks in the letters of John, the little letters in the back of the Bible that John wrote. Uh, we're going to jump into five verses over the next four weeks in the Gospel of John. One of Jesus' favorite disciples wrote this life story of Jesus, and uh, we are calling this short sermon series, Not a Secret Anymore. It's not a secret anymore. Several months ago, I was reading through the Gospel of John, and I came to this section surrounding Holy Week, which is what we're entering into now, right? The parade of Palm Sunday, the questions of Thursday, the prayers of Friday, the arrest, the trial, the beating, all those things. This, this is a story that I've read hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times, and I came across a phrase that I had not really picked up on before. All right? And I know that today typically is the celebratory Sunday. Right? We're waving palm branches, we're singing, shouting Hosanna, it's happy, clappy, it's laughter, but I want to fast forward us in the story just a little bit. So we're going to fast forward past the parade, fast forward past Jesus washing the feet in John 13, fast forward past the, the Last Supper and the, the betrayal, the arrest, the crucifixion, fast forward to the points beyond Jesus' final breath. 
And we pick up the story, uh, John 18, John 19, Jesus had been betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter, had been crucified, had, had had the spear pierced his side. And the only disciple who was there to witness the whole thing was John. Everybody else had fled. And John says in John 19, verse 35, this report that I'm giving you is from an eyewitness. It's an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you can believe. And now we get to the part of the story that caught my attention. Verse 38 through 42. Afterward, so this is after Jesus had died, after he breathed his last, after he had said, it is finished. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave him permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial customs, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. And the place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. The phrase that jumped out at me when I was reading this a couple of months back was Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus. Oh, not after this paragraph in the story. Not after this sidebar comment. Not after this scene played out. It was not a secret anymore. Two guys in this story, Joseph and Nicodemus. We're going to call them Joe and Nick for short. Sound good? Okay, But to get to that really big question that they ask, we need to figure out a little bit more about who they were. So let's start with Joe. Joe of Arimathea. Believe it or not, this is the first time in the Gospel of John that he shows up. But John is writing in such a way, and he drops his name like, well, that's no big deal, Joseph of Arimathea, like all of his listeners would have known who it was. Well, what we know from that is that Joseph came from a town called Oh, good. You guys are listening. Arimathea. Right. The Old Testament uh, same town was called Ramah. It was where Samuel's parents were born, the Old Testament prophet. And here's the unique thing. It's a town in northwest or northeast. Good with math. That's not math. That's geography. (laughs) It's north something of Jerusalem. Okay? And it's about 75 miles away from Nazareth. So it's a town in Judea. Jesus is from Nazareth in Galilee. So how does a Judean man learn about this Galilean prophet? For us, 75 miles, no big deal. You hop in a car, it's an hour and a half drive. Unless Dick Winters is driving, then it's closer to an hour. Um, But how did Joseph know about Jesus? We we don't know. I'm going to ask him that someday. He's a Judean follower of this Galilean rabbi. Now, what else do we know? Again, first time he's mentioned, well, we can guess that he had some clout in society. He was kind of a higher up, because why else would the pilot let him come and speak to him? So, so a higher up, perhaps. Uh, John's gospel doesn't give us too many details. Fortunately, the other three gospels, all of which tell this story, have a little bit more details in them, and it can help us understand Joe a bit more. So from the Gospel of Matthew, same story, it calls Joe a rich man from Arimathea. Now in the Greek, the word rich means rich. It's pretty easy. He had a lot of material wealth. All right? 
We're not sure exactly how much, but we get a pretty good idea of it next week. So you have to come and find out how much he had next week. I'll actually drop a number next week. Gospel of Mark's account, same story. In parentheses, it says, Joseph was an honored member of the high council, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. All right? So he's a religious man waiting for the kingdom of God to come, and he's high up in the council, in the Sanhedrin. I'll tell you more about that in just a second. But not just any like person in the Sanhedrin. He is a honored member. He's a respected member, prominent member, an influential member. Getting a picture of who he is? Luke's account. Same story says Joseph was a member of the council and a good and righteous man. A good and upright man. Not too many men in the Bible are described like that. But Joe was. So all you dads out there with daughters, Joe was a guy you want your daughter to date. He was a man after God's heart. He was high up in society. And he was rich. Right? You get a picture of who Joe is? Got an idea? All right. What about Nick? Nicodemus. Our verse says, when Nicodemus came with him, this is verse 39, that with him came Nicodemus, the man who came to Jesus at night. Oh, Nick at night. <laughs> Anybody ever watch that show? I haven't. So maybe you take me to coffee and tell me all about it. All right. We see Nick at night in John chapter three. You'll recognize this story. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee, getting an idea of who he is already. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know, I picture him whispering, right, because he comes at night. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus said, thanks, bro, you're right. Jesus takes it a completely different direction. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus goes on, I assure you, right? He tells the story of, of spirit and water and humans and the Holy Spirit and the wind blowing and all that. And then a little while later, Jesus says something, you know, about God loving the world so much that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him. Did you know John 3.16 was in that conversation with Nick at night? Yeah. So this is, this is Nicodemus. This is the beginning part of understanding Nicodemus. My translation says uh, Nick was a Jewish religious leader. A more accurate word-for-word translation from the Greek to the English is he, excuse me, I called him a religious leader. The Greek to English calls him a ruler of the Jews. Now, the Greek word for ruler is ruler. Hey, good job. You guys know Greek? That's awesome. Also could be translated prince, chief, magistrate, chief ruler. This guy had some clout. Also, we see Nick three times in the Gospel of John, once in John 3 that we just looked at, once in John 19, and then once in John chapter 7. It was at this point that Nicodemus was with the other religious leaders and Pharisees, and Jesus was teaching in the temple, and he was saying enough things that upset the Jewish leaders that they sent the temple guards to go and arrest him. They came back without him. And this is where we pick up the story, John 7, verse 45. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? Uh, We have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. 
Have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked? Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. And then Nicodemus, the ruler who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing? He asked. And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures. No prophet comes from Galilee. A ruler amongst the Jews. And it kind of looks like we're seeing this progression of maybe faith from Nicodemus. Starts with a, a backdoor, a dark conversation with Jesus. Then though he doesn't flat out say, hey, I like the guy, he kind of stands up for him in, in John 7. And then in John 19, we actually see him with Joe after this tremendously big question was asked. Nick, in short, was another higher up in society. He was high up in the religious community, and he would have been well-known around town. You guys tracking with me so far? Get an idea who these two guys are? They're pretty big. They're big shots. All right? Joe and Nick, what a pair. Both high up, both members of the Sanhedrin, which, for those who don't know what that was, that was the supreme Jewish religious and political and legal council in Jerusalem. It would have been our Supreme Court, our House, our representatives, um, and Billy Graham, uh, John Wesley, Andy Stanley, John Piper, uh, John, all the religious elite. All, you know, this group of 71 men. They were, if there was anything to do with law, with the prophets, with politics, with religion, they oversaw it. And they didn't like Jesus from the get-go. Like, you read the stories, and from the start, the Pharisees and religious leaders were going after him, trying to figure out when they could arrest him. Ultimately, they were the ones who uh, led him to trial. And I wonder what it must have been like for Joe and Nick, right? At what point did they start following him? At what point was it the secret that, you know, oh, wow, I, I kind of I, I dig what this guy's saying? Was there inner turmoil in them in these behind-doors conversations when the, the council was saying, we need to go get him? I mean, once in Luke 23, it says that Joe, uh, Joseph, uh, felt unrest and disagreed with their decision, but it doesn't say he spoke up. Started thinking about these two, Joe and Nick, and I started wondering, did they sit next to each other in the council? Did they go out for a, for a pint of goat's milk at the local dive after the session? I didn't say it was fermented goat's milk yet. Did their families get together and play canasta on the weekends? Were they friends before John 19? If they knew each other and they were friends, did they sit across the table at said local dive drinking fermented goat's milk and wonder, does he know Jesus? Should I ask him? Could I tell him I know him? Or did they know that the other did, and they just sat on their deck at night, staying up late at night in whispers, talking about this guy from Galilee who was doing miracles and healings and had some pretty amazing teaching. At what point did the two of them make it not a secret anymore in their relationship? Because you know by the time you got to John 19, they had talked about this. What we're going to see next week is this could not have just been like spur of the moment. This had to have been something that was pre-planned. 
Okay, so we're, we're asking this question, uh, what's the biggest question you've ever asked? And we're seeing two guys, higher ups in society, religious elite, people who would have been invited to the big parties in Jerusalem, and you got to wonder, did both of them go to Pilate, or was it just one? Was it just Joe? Because in a lot of our translations, it just looks like it's Joe that went, but other translations, it said, with him came Nicodemus. How much of that fermented goat's milk did it take to finally have the courage to go and talk to Pilate? At what point did they decide this is it? And why didn't they decide earlier to stand up for him? Well, we know the answer to that question. It's because they were scared. That's what the text says. In verse 38, it says, Afterward, Joe of Arimathea, which... Uh, who had been a secret disciple because he feared the Jewish leaders. Rewind to John chapter 3. Nick visited Jesus at night. Why? Because he didn't want anybody to see him. It wasn't because, you know, he couldn't have come during the day. It's because he was scared. Sat there this past week thinking to myself, why would anybody be scared of a religious leader? Aren't all pastors, preachers, and priests nice? Don't they all just want to smile and have a hug and drink coffee? Uh, Please note my sarcasm. I'm nice, in case you're wondering. I like coffee. I like the occasional hug, depending on who you are. Um, Here's the truth of the matter. Not all religious people are good people. I listened to a a podcast documentary. I want to call it a pocumentary, so let's copyright that. It's a podcast documentary uh, about a pastor at a church in Seattle. It was recommended to me by a couple of people. It was uh, 13 or 14 different sessions, so 13 or 14 hours. I listened to it a couple of months ago, and it's about this pastor who led his church and his staff based out of fear and intimidation. It was unsettling. Literally, there were times I was crying as I listened to this. I called the two people who recommended that I listen to it, and I said, if you ever even catch a glimpse or a glimmer of me leading out of fear and intimidation, please come and tell me, because I will repent. You think, oh, that only happens every now and again, and we would never know anybody that that happens to. That's a megachurch pastor over in Seattle. Nobody knows that person. One of my former youth students, because I did youth ministry here back in the... uh, early 2000s with Eric. He was here back then. One of my former youth students uh, uh, graduated, went off to college. Um, I didn't know it because we didn't stay in contact for about a decade, but went over to the East Coast to a big church over there and was doing children's ministry, which was fantastic. Except the lead pastor in her church was physically, emotionally, and spiritually abusive. He's still the lead pastor there. I took a walk with this person last week. So we we claim we don't know when this happened. I took a walk with this person last week, and this person says, I've walked away from the faith. I don't believe anymore because of what this pastor did to me. We have had bad, not we, I hope not we. The church has had religious leaders that should be scared of for years and years and years. Over 2,000 years We've had it. It goes beyond just Joe and Nick. If you look at the story in the Gospel of John, you see that it wasn't just them 
who was afraid. But it was many, many other people. Go back to John chapter 7 where we first, second saw uh, Joe and we see that uh, Jesus is speaking in the temple and there's some people who believe what he's saying, some people like what he's saying. This is John chapter 7. I'm going to get there eventually. It says there was a lot of grumbling about Jesus amongst the crowds. Some argued that he's a good man, but others said he's nothing but a fraud who deceives people. But no one, catch this, no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Fast forward in the story just two chapters to a time when Jesus healed a guy who was born blind. Healed him on a Sabbath. Mm, not good. Religious leaders didn't like that. So they pull this formerly blind man in. They interrogate him. They question him. They say, who did this? How did he do this? And, you know, the guy tells them. And they didn't believe this blind man. So they pulled in his parents and said, is this really your son? Was he really born blind? You don't know what they answered? It's my favorite story in the Bible. His parents replied, John chapter 9, verse 20. We know this is our son and that he was born blind. But we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him yourself. He's old enough to speak for himself. Love that. Love that. Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. Fast forward two more chapters. We see discussion again taking place. In John chapter 12, many people did believe in Jesus. However, including some of the Jewish leaders, we now know that's Nick and Joe, Okay, but they would not admit it for fear of the Pharisees, that they would expel them from the synagogue. People were afraid of the religious leaders. You fast forward past the crucifixion, past the resurrection, which the disciples still couldn't wrap their minds around. John chapter 20, that Sunday evening that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Sorry, Siri, I wasn't asking you a question. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Eight days later, the doors are still locked. Fear of the Jewish leaders. Bad religious leaders have been around for a long time. Nick and Joe were some of them. Maybe not bad, I don't know for sure. But you know what? Back then, it wasn't like it is today. There wasn't a church on every corner. I know that if you don't like what I say, or if you don't like the direction First Church is going, you'll just leave, and you'll go to one of the 14 churches you drove by to get here. Aside from losing a relationship, no harm, no foul, right? We, we've had people leave in the last 16 years since I've been here. It was not that way in Jesus' time. If you didn't like the religious leaders or they didn't like you, everything changed. Everything changed. Friendships were lost. Businesses were closed. No more community. People would say as far away from you as if you had the plague or leprosy. You would get kicked out of the church and thus kicked out of your faith family and thus everything you knew. No wonder Joe and Nick didn't let the cat out of the bag until they did when we see it in our story. If they'd have been discovered that they were secret followers of Jesus, their lives would have been shocked. Like, Everything would have been gone. Biological families would have left. Religious status would have been gone. Social clout, all of it would have been gone. Okay? So you're getting the picture now of who these two men were and the risk that they take in our text. 
Afterward, feel the weight of what they're going through. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. That's a huge ask. Because by asking that, he's saying, I'm with him. As soon as you say that, everything changes. When Pilate gave him permission, Joseph came and took the body away, and with him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. Not a secret anymore. Cats out of the bag. I love the picture that Mark writes in his gospel. Same story. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. This was no small risk. So I sat there this past week in my office thinking, why now? Why then? Why approach Pilate on that Friday night? Had they finally gained enough liquid courage from that fermented goat's milk? Had they got caught up in the parade of the previous week? Had Joe finally texted Nick and said, all right, I got to tell my wife. You got to tell your wife. We got to tell somebody. And the risk of asking Pilate, of all people, right? This is the governor. This is the head Fred. This is the guy who signed the death warrant. These two guys were rich enough just to bribe the guards at the cross. Psst, hey, buddy, can I have his body? Here's a hundred denarii. Don't tell anybody. They could have done that. Nobody would have known. But they went to Pilate. And you think about that. I mean, this is, I, I threw myself into the story. I, I asked myself, how did they ask Pilate? Did the two of them start off with cardboard signs outside the governor's mansion? Can we have Jesus? Pilate, can we talk to you? Right? Or did they go through all the official paperwork that we have to go through to talk to an official today? Did they get background checked? Did they get patted down? Did they get wanded? Right? If they had wanted to keep it a secret... They would have had to get past the guard at the front gate. <clears throat> we need to talk to Pilate, please. What's this about? We want Jesus' body. Gets on the radio, right? Hey, Joe and Nick are here. They want Jesus' body. Everybody on the radio would have heard. Before Nick and Joe even got to the Oval Office of Pilate's body, uh, Pilate's office, they, tabloids would have been going nuts. Joe and Nick, who are they? Why now? Why such a big risk? Why such a big ask? They could have kept quiet. Nothing would have changed. This big ask changed everything. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been, had been, (laughs) not anymore, had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take the body down. And Pilate gave him permission. I wonder if Pilate owed him a favor. Had he donated to his political campaign? I don't know. Pilate gave him permission. So Joseph came, took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man known in 2022 as Nick at Night. Pilate gave him permission. And from that day on, their lives changed forever because they took some very public steps, some very extravagant actions. 
that we're going to look at next week. What's the biggest question you've ever had to ask? After hearing this message today, can you think of a different question you may need to ask? Perhaps it has something to do with faith and letting your faith out of the bag. Maybe the question is something as small but as challenging as asking your neighbor to join you for Easter Sunday next week. For many people, that's a huge ask. Perhaps it's asking your boss for Sundays off. Not because you want to go fishing or because you want to watch the Seahawks who are going to have a couple of years of rebuilding, so nobody should miss Sundays this fall. Perhaps you're asking your boss for Sundays off and you tell him it's for religious purposes. I need to be in church. But your faith is now known. Perhaps it's asking a boyfriend or girlfriend what they think of Jesus because you think he's pretty cool and he's pretty important to you. And if they don't, you don't know if there's going to be a future. Perhaps, like Madonna mentioned, it's asking us a, a child, a sibling, a friend who's in hospice, are you ready? Do you know Jesus? Because I want to spend forever with you. What are you willing to ask? What's that big question? What's that question or that statement that lets the cat out of the bag? It changes life forever. I was thinking, okay, James, confidently stand up there and just boldly tell people, go and ask that question this week, right? But then I started thinking, if we all go and ask that question, our lives are going to be turned in upheaval and this week is going to be chaos. If God's telling you to go and ask that question, go and ask it. But make sure you take somebody with you. Okay, Joe took Nick, because they couldn't have done this by themselves. Grab a friend. If you've got something that needs to come out, grab a friend. Spend time praying about it, spend time talking to your friend about it. Make sure this is what God wants you to do, and then ask that big question. Will your life change forever? It's possible. Will it be easy? Not always. Jesus never promised that it would be. But will it be worth it? Someday I want to ask Joe and Nick if it was worth it to them. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the examples in Scripture, in the examples that I've seen in the world around me that have uh, dealt with me personally and others that I've just noticed from afar. I thank you for their examples of courage and bravery to say the big statements, to ask the big questions, to stand up for their faith, to let their faith out of the bag. Lord, I ask that uh, you would give us courage, that you would give us confidence, that you would give us peace if there's something you're laying on our heart that needs to be asked. If it's, if it's a question, if it's a, a correction, if it's something, Lord, give us what we need to take that step of faith. I thank you for guys like Joe and Nick who were willing to let their life be rocked, transformed, and changed forever. Because it gives me somebody to say, I, I want to be like that. Help us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.